All right. Welcome, everybody, to The Hit Factor. We are excited to talk with you guys again this week. At least I am. I don't know how excited Jeff. Jeff is, this is Labor Day weekend, at the end of Labor Day weekend while we're recording. And Jeff sounds like he is like run like three marathons and a, a triathlon on top of that and then been kicked in the nuts. Uh, so what's, how, how you feeling, Jeff? I'm good. I'm just, I'm just tired. I, I did a lot of work. I cleaned out a bunch of crap in my shop and worked at the shop at the other house. So I just got a lot of, a lot of dust in my throat and yeah, just tired. I'm sure everybody feels really sorry for you. I know I do. I feel really bad, really bad for you. And, uh, I just, it feels, I feel for you, buddy. I'm sure everybody else does too. Thank you. Uh, we've got, <laughs> we, we yeah, you'll have to excuse me if I keep uh, clearing my throat. That's fine. Uh, we need to make a a couple of congratulations. Matt Hopkins won uh, carry optics at Utah State. I think he did. Shot looks uh, like he shot really well. So, and he's he was he's shooting the new CZ hotness, which has just been released. Uh, and I guess Matt's probably been shooting it for a little bit, but <laughs> he's he's officially shooting it now. I um, think he's been shooting it for a f- couple of months. Was it? I don't, we we did a we did a test fire series on him at work a while back. Like, I don't know, we shot like I personally shot like five or six thousand rounds on one in a week, not that long ago. All right, yeah, so tell us about like what. What's is the gun? I mean, is the gun the new hotness? Like, should Jeff switch to it? Like, should he sell his canics and get one? Well, I mean, obviously, I'm always going to encourage people buying more CZs because you know that kind of directly affects my paycheck. But realistically, the gun's not all that important if it's reliable. I mean, anything's better than a canic. Like, I think I probably could find Jeff a Taurus or something, but regardless, if if you already have a gun you are happy with that's optics ready, then is it a nice gun? Yes. Is it going to be some kind of groundbreaking improvement? Probably not. Where it shines is the ergonomics are really good. It has reasonable capacity, and it is pretty well ready to go from the factory. Um, if you don't have an optic-ready gun and you're looking for something for carry optics, I think it's a, a very viable choice because, like I said, it is optics ready. We do have a really good mounting system for the plates the way the optic mounts it has a fiber optic front a black rear uh they get a reasonable capacity their ergonomics are good and you can get the gun reasonably heavy with some small additions to it but the probably the big thing on the new gun is they did some rework on the barrel instead of using basically it's my understanding that the all the other p10fs just have the euro specs barrels even the ones we make here in the u.s where this one they Changed some stuff in the feed ramp geometry and like the throat on the guns. So it's, they work a lot better with the heavy for caliber loads. It's like some of the like 150 grain Syntec and stuff like that that can be a little sensitive to uh, some of the other guns. They'll yeah. work much better with. And what we found in testing is the guns are reliable with a much broader assortment of random loads that sometimes don't work well in the euro spec chambers awesome so what kind of capacity henning base pad 
Like what is, I mean, is Matt getting 23, 24? Uh, you can do 23 pretty easy. Uh, 24 is doable also with the right combination of parts. Okay. So you use a hitting base. I, you can get, you can actually get 23. If you use a 40 cal tube with a hitting base pad and the spring out of a nine millimeter, I think you got to trim the legs of the follower just a little bit. You can get a 23 round mag that'll lock like with a factory spring that'll lock back the slide. You can't use the 40 spring, even though the follower's the same, because the spring is like, it looks like it come out of like a 33-round Glock bag. They're super long in the 40s yeah. for some reason. Um, and then if you use a Gram's kit, and you might have to tune on the mag a little bit, you can get 24 in them as well. But the 24-round the mags are not really available. You gotta What you normally have to do is you have to buy a PO9 40 cal mag and add the third notch. If it doesn't already have it. So that stuff's, I mean, I mean, it's a new product. I mean, it's going to take a while for that stuff to catch up, but 23 rounds, you should be pretty competitive with just about anybody in CO. I mean, 23 is kind standard. of the standard, right? Like yeah. 23 in CO is kind of the same as 20 rounds in limited. Is that, I mean, is that right? Yeah. Now where, where that gun is cool is uh, a local shop here to me, uh, Stonebridge Gunworks. Uh, buddy Vince, who shoots with us, he makes an Ampco backstrap for the gun that weighs like four ounces. So you throw that in there with a tungsten guide rod, and it it brings the gun up into the the 30s, but it balances out really nicely. I know that's how mats are set up right now. Awesome. What? So how's the uh, like factory trigger? Is it decent or uh, so it, stuff? It's better than the others because it has an HB Industries uh, flat trigger in it. So it cleans up the trigger pull a little bit. Uh, it still has full weight striker spring and stuff in it. So if you're really playing with it for competition, you're probably going to lighten it up just a little bit there. And when you change the recoil spring as well. Yeah. Is that all Matt's doing? Just got uh, a lighter spring in it or do you know? I, I don't know for sure. As far as I know, he's running a little bit lighter recoil spring on the tungsten guide rod, but I really don't know for sure. And I assume he's changing the striker spring, but again, I don't know for sure. Well, we'll have to get some, I expected better inside details than that, but, uh, I, I gave you all the details on the factory setup. I don't know what another competitor is changing in his gun. You're, you're right. Matt Matt is running the six MOA Delta Point Pros. He only uses Panasonic batteries. Um, he actually removes the sights to lighten the slide up. That's I, I noticed that that he didn't have any sights on his gun, so he's it's clearly probably, getting a higher cyclic rate. It's probably because we either didn't have like the sights or whatever when he put the, when he had the gun put together for like in stock parts. But so the, there's a new there's a new option in in the carry optics world. Where I guess you could use it in production just fine. Uh, I would think a Shadow yeah. Two would probably still be preferable in production, but it seems like that gun would work if you it, wanted to shoot a polymer gun. So to me, obviously the Shadow Two or a, a DASA gun with a hammer always seems like a better choice. But plenty of people want a striker gun, so it's certainly yeah. uh, a viable option for someone that doesn't want a double action. Yeah, uh, and again, congrats to. Oh, Maddie Hopkins, Area Three Direct, the Area Three Elect Director Elect, uh, for 
winning Utah State. Congrats to him. Uh, and also, Limited was a fairly well-contested match at that at that match. And my boy, Bob Crow, old man, came through and kicked some butt. Uh, he he won the Limited, which, I mean, he hasn't – I hate – I love Bob, but I hate Bob. Like, he, like, shot, like, four – he, like, had, like, a couple 200-round sessions the week of. And it's like, oh, I'm tuned up good and went out and just won. And he beat, like, Kenny Terry, uh, Gianni. Giovanni was there. Like, I think there was another GM. Like, so there were like, there were some legit, uh, top 10 national yeah, shooters guys. there, super squad level guys. And, uh, I mean, Bob's, when Bob's tuned up, he's obviously a super squad guy. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, kind of just came out of nowhere and, and kicked butt. So he won't listen. He won't hear this. Won't listen to it. He's kind of technologically inept, but <laughs> unless it's, unless it's hunting for bourbon, then he doesn't know how to use a phone. But if he, otherwise, if it's hunting for bourbon, then he's very good on his phone. Uh, but so, congrats to him. Anyway, we are going to we're going to talk about dry fire. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm sure we have talked about dry fire in the past. Some I actually don't remember, but I feel like it's a topic that probably could come back to every once in a while just to give like get reminders on hey, do this, don't do this. Uh, so we are talking. Do's and don'ts of dry fire. Um, and my boy Jeff is, I mean, he has been freaking hitting dry fire hard lately. Uh, so Jeff's dry, what does your dry fire routine look at, look like currently, Jeff? Uh, well, per usual, it's not terribly structured, um, which I've been thinking about a lot lately and, I don't know. I won't go into that. Right now, it is uh, basically I get up, I dry fire. Usually, there's a few minutes of sort of warm up where I'm just like really focusing on fundamentals type stuff, making sure I'm hitting the gun in the right spot when I draw, making sure I'm bringing my support hand up in the right spot, uh, making sure I'm getting on target in the way that I want to. Um, and then I just, uh, I kind of rotate skills, honestly. Like I'll, I'll have one day where I just work on moving in like any direction I can think of. Uh, usually drawing, engaging, and then moving and engaging in all directions. I might string a couple together with a reload or something like that. Uh, so that would be like one session and then like a different type of session would be where I just basically hammer fundamentals for 30 minutes. Like I'll just work on standstill, work on transitions, and then I'll do standstill, work on reloads. Uh, I'll do standstill, work on a couple different draws. Uh, so that will be another type. Um, so, I mean, that's that's basically what I do. You know, I might have another session where I like just work weird stuff, like I work table starts and weird draws, turn draws. Um, more uh, I'll have another one where I work like really wide type transitions uh, yeah so I've been getting a, a bit more focused on actually focusing on skills so I would say that's kind of new for me this year like before it would just be like I just dry fire for 30 minutes whatever pops into my head kind of deal but now it's like I think about what have I done this week Okay, I've worked on these. I haven't worked on this, 
So that's what I'm going to work on. Uh, yeah, that's basically it. And I have a couple of, uh, I have a couple of drills that I've kind of developed for myself that kind of looking at, uh, past performances and, uh, how I have felt throughout the year. I've figured out a couple of things that really work for me as far as honing, uh, like transitions and reloads are the two main ones that I've kind of developed a a drill, I guess, to help me like hammer those a whole lot in one session and I see good results. It's kind of weird. Like I've never really noticed that before, like actually seeing results from doing a particular thing. I don't know. It's interesting. So if you were to give like a, a do this and drive right, it sounds like you would say, make sure that you are hitting as many different skills as possible in dry fire. Dude, my number one thing is do not do, which I've talked about with some other, some other guys and it kind of blew their mind. I don't know why. My number one thing is don't do all your dry fire standing still. Um, I think this is kind of a, a thing that, I don't know if people still do this, but I think it kind of uh, bled over from like Instagram as people doing all these crazy wicked standing reloads and standing draws and stupid fast stuff. So everyone starts working on that. And uh, I have never done that. Like my my dry fires always really been a lot of like uh, anytime I draw the gun. I'm stepping and drawing. Every time I reload, I'm stepping and reloading. Um, now I have reincorporated as I've like progressed. Like I I do more standing stuff now than I did in the past, uh, just because I'm more specific on like the tiny little details that I want to focus on. I don't want to be doing a step while I'm trying to think about those things. Um, but in the beginning, yeah, it was. My number one thing was yeah. I mean, I think that's a good one. Still uh, yeah, you do see a lot of those uh, a dr- one jaw shot and reload and like, can you do that in under two seconds? Can you do it under one point eight seconds? And you know, you start start ripping that stuff really fast. But you're just yeah, just standing there and just it's just a gun manipulation thing. Um, well, I think I think you have some good points there because like. Personally, in, in my dry fire, specifically on like draws and reloads, but draws specifically, like I will, I will work on draws for like a certain amount of time. A lot of times I will actually just set a timer on my phone and I'll just hammer draws for the whole time, but I won't do five minutes of standing and drawing. Like I have a barricade made in my dry fire room, so I might draw with my hands on the sides of the barricade for a couple, you know, do four or five draws that way. Then do four or five draws stepping to the right, to the left, back, forward, feet close together, standing, like get a good mix of draws. And then if I, if I see myself having an issue with a certain aspect of the draw, I might hammer that further with just uh, like standing still to work out a problem. But otherwise I'm trying to get a, broad assortment of draws like i won't do like a full sprint to a different shooting position or anything but we rarely draw just standing still so i'll make sure i'm working all the various parts of the draw as well as hands and sides turning draws i won't normally do unless i'm and know i'm gonna need it soon i'll do it once in a while otherwise but not frequently 
Yeah, the sport has kind of changed. Like, used to, the turn and draw was a really big part of the sport. I mean, like, you saw a lot of turn and draws, uprange starts uh, in this sport where you were, you were starting uprange and you were turning to a target that you would shoot right away. And being able to do that really quickly was a big deal. The The sport has really, I mean, the last couple of years, I mean, start positions have really gotten simplified a lot, which I think is a, I think is a, a good progression in the, in this basically your feet needs to be here. Your feet need to be somewhere close to here and your wrist are below the belt. Everything else we don't care about. Whereas in the past, it was very much like your feet have to be in this specific area. Your hands have to be touching this very specific area and you have to be facing directly down range. Don't turn, if you're turning your head, you're wrong. Like it was, it was like, you almost getting in these battles of just like getting somebody to start in this exact position. And when in the end, it's like, that doesn't matter. Like that doesn't really have a whole lot to do with the whole lot of anything. And so luckily that's kind of gone away a little bit. And so, yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of what we see in our sport is a lot of draw, step and draw take or draw and step. Um, I do, I start almost every practice session with just with standing draws uh, just at sides and from surrender just until my hands feel like they're warmed up and I'm hitting that position. I want to, I don't want to introduce movement until I feel like I'm hitting that gun from just a standstill to start. So usually I'll start with, I don't know, probably, probably 10, 10 draws from its sides and 10 draws from surrender or something like that. And that's usually just, and that kind of gets my hands warmed up. And you're talking in your dry fire, not live fire, right? Correct. Yeah, this is all dry fire. Everything I'm talking I about said, here is dry fire. Okay. I say I don't know about you guys, but typically, I don't do a lot of like draw only drills for live fire. Like draws are draws are one of those things that you're fixing in dry fire. Live fire, I'm working on other skills. And then uh, adding on to what Jeff had to say, one thing that I've noticed over my own progression, like when I was when I was started getting like serious and was training and stuff a lot. Like I had a plan, like, like I knew exactly what I was doing each dry fire session for how long I was going to do it. And I would hammer that out. And then as, as I progressed, I got more to where I was doing a little more, what I'd call like a freestyle in my dry fire where I'd be working more stage skills. And actually more recently, I've kind of gotten back into being a little more regimented and focused on what I'm doing. Because I don't think I, over the last you know six months or year, I, I don't think I was getting the best use of my time when I was dry firing because I was just too I was doing too much all around. When regardless of the level you're at, it's always important to really work on the fundamental skills of the sport. And I don't I don't think I was doing that enough. Not enough draws, not enough reloads, and not enough transitions and simple movements and stuff. So I've kind of gotten a little more back focused on, like, you know, working draws for three, four, five minutes or whatever, and then working on transitions. And I will say in my dry fire room, I have targets all over the place. Some are partial, some are hard covered and whatnot. And I won't just, like, I won't do, like, three minutes of the exact same transitions. Like I will do, I'll pick different targets, I'll visualize it, and then I'll do it like four or five times, and then I'll do something else. Uh, I definitely feel like that's been helping. I think I've been shooting better the last few weeks while I've been doing that. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, it sounds like a, a big do for Jeff, I mean, for 
Sasquatch yeah. uh, is to like is to be structured, like make sure you're you're structured in what you're doing. Well, no, it's I don't know. I don't like the word structured. I think more having having knowing exactly what you're what you're doing and why. I, I, structured is right, but I, I like to think of it more from the standpoint of what am I doing and why am I doing it. Instead of just like going down, going down to the basement to handle my gun for fifteen minutes, is not necessarily going to be valuable. Going down and saying, "Hey, you know what? I, I missed my grip on three reload on three draws this weekend. Like two of them were moving to the right. Like let's fix this." Or my, you know, when my feet are close together, I'm, I'm having a hard time getting the gun out of the holster or something. Like going going and working on something specific like that. I think it's more valuable. And there's not always going to be, you know, sometimes you're going to shoot a match well and you're like, yeah, oh, there wasn't really anything bad. So keep doing what's working. Yeah. So, okay. So then it sounds like another big do for Sasquatch then would be like, pay attention to what should happening in your locals or if you're shooting majors, shooting those. If you have a weakness there, if you have something that you don't, if it, like you miss a load, you miss a grip, something like that then that's something that you obviously know you need to hammer out hard the next week in dry fire. Yeah, that's a great example. Like We were talking earlier this week, and I've always found the longer mags are easier for me to load. So I shot CO last month, and I, I've just this week I switched back to production for the Iowa sectional. And I, I, I realized when I missed a couple of my reloads I missed, what it was is basically like I was releasing my grip on the mag too early. So I wasn't guiding it all the way in. And a big difference was, is in relation to my hand with the longer mags, the mag was already started in a gun when I'd release. So it was basically, I just need to hold on the mag a little longer. It was a realization from dry fire and overall reloads went pretty well this weekend. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely a, a self-diagnostic self-aware type thing that you can figure out. It matches, it informs what you do in dry fire uh, after that. What else? Any more do's or don'ts, Sasquatch? Uh, the only thing I'm going to build on also is what Jeff said. He said he normally dry fires for 30 minutes. And for for anybody newer kind of getting into it, I would tell you if, if you if you've not already been around for a while, if you're dry firing for 30 minutes, you're not doing good dry fire because you're not holding on to that gun hard. Like, especially, like, when you're newer and stuff, like, 15, if your your hands will probably feel smoked after 15 minutes. I mean, even now, I I pretty well keep dry fire sessions to, like, 20 minutes tops. And my I'm feeling it at 20 minutes. Not that there's sometimes not value in pushing when you're tired, but, like, if you're a newer shooter or you don't really dry fire a lot now, like be mindful of like how fast your hands are getting tired because if if you're doing thirty minutes and you feel great, you're not holding on to the gun. Yeah, yeah, that was something I was definitely uh, guilty of. Like when I started, man, I was a dry fire king. When I started, I'd dry fire like an hour a day. I mean, it was it was broken up, but I mean, that'd be like an hour a day, and your hands get torn up from that, but not from it wasn't from grip pressure, just from friction on the gun, right? Uh, and, and yeah, I definitely developed a lot of, I did not develop a good, strong grip through that. I developed really fast gun handling skills, but I did not develop a good, strong grip that would really help control recoil, uh, through that dry fire. Well, 
it, it comes back to doing it right the first time is going to be far more valuable than having to fix having done it wrong for six months or a year. Like getting used to holding onto the gun tight and correctly is going to help you, even if you're just doing it in dry fire. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that's that's one of my big do's is make sure that you are crushing that gun with your left hand. Uh, like it, you should, like, it, yeah, if you're 10 minutes in and you're not like, if you're not feeling it, if like, if you're, if you dry fire for 10 minutes straight, just like as soon as you basically put the gun back in the holster, you're, you're, you know, hitting the buzzer or whatever and, and going for another rep. If your hand's not, not tired after like 10 minutes, then I would say you're probably, you may be ingraining some bad habits as far as not gripping the gun hard. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely in the, I'm definitely the proponent of do everything you can to practice gripping the gun hard in dry fire. Hmm. And the only, I guess the only other thing I would say is if you don't already have one, the, a good place to start for dry fire is order one of the books. Uh, obviously I like the, the books from the pro shop. So, you know, I've got Ben's books and like, those are what I use, but a lot of guys use uh, Steve's books. Like, just I'm not saying you're always going to be working out of that, but I think it's a good starting point to help you figure out where you, where to begin. Absolutely, yeah. If you're if you're new in the sport at all and you don't really know what the sport's about, uh, like you're just learning, then and you're like, okay, what is like somebody mentions, hey, are you dry firing? You're like, uh, yeah, sure, and and you go home and you you draw the gun ten times and you're like, okay. I, I guess I can do that. Okay. Ben's books are great for giving you a pretty comprehensive set of drills that you can practice and benchmarks that let you know if you're improving like you should, uh, and, and where you need to try to improve, uh, to be successful in the sport. So I definitely agree with that. So part of the reason why this came up as a topic for me is, I mean, as, Probably everybody's sick of hearing about. I mean, I have I have struggled this year, uh, and part of that is I've struggled from a, a speed standpoint. I've just been slow. Uh, just I've just been slow, um, and you know, I kind of way slower than I would like to admit. I came to the realization that hey, like in years past when I was shooting fifty thousand rounds a year, then yeah, dry fire was really more of a just it was a a comfort a gun manipulation. Uh, get the hands warmed up type deal, stay familiar with it. But when you're shooting that much, you're doing all of that stuff on the, you're doing, you're working on all your skills on the range. Um, it's not to say that you can't do it in dry fire, but you're doing a lot of those skills on the range. And so I had kind of abandoned using par times in dry fire because there's, you have to be really careful with par times in dry fire. In my opinion, this, this is where I get in the do's and don'ts of mine is, is when you you get into a part time and you're like like Jeff was talking about the stand and shoot drills where you you have a draw and a reload and you're trying to get that to a time. Almost anybody that's trying to hit those and they're getting you know sub two seconds on on a drill like that, I can almost guarantee you that they're not acquiring a really solid grip with their left hand on the gun. Um, like they like you don't have time to do that when you do it, and it's really hard to do that. Not say that you can't. Yeah. But it's really hard to do that effectively and not round off the corner so much and how you grip the gun and the sight pictures and stuff 
that you get that it can be par times can be really dangerous from that standpoint. Sasquatch looks like he wants to come through his computer and, and say something really bad. No, what I was going to mention is I, I think you, you, you bring up a good point there, especially when you talk about around the corners and, and it's good to use par times to try to push the speed a little bit, but I, I certainly don't drive fire with par times all the time. Like a lot of times I'll set a par time. That's really easy to make when I'm working on something like draws and it's because realistically, I'm not worried if I'm slamming a 0. 0.7 draw when I'm when I'm taking a step to the right. What I am concerned with is, am I more or less aimed at the target in a second? That that's adequate. Like I'm more concerned with being focused on the on what's happening and making sure that my grip's right and that the sights are where they're supposed to be than I am as far than I am with uh, was this a tenth faster? Sure. Now, yeah. Now, when you're trying to get faster, that's where part-times are going to come valuable. And, and you want to try to push the part-times down, but you still need to stay completely mindful on, like, what's happening, what's going on. I mean, it's just like shooting. you you got to have an idea of what's happening with the sights and the gun. Otherwise, you're not going to have results that you like. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, for me, in the in the past, the recent years when I was shooting a lot, I had basically completely abandoned part times and dry fire because really I wanted dry fire to just be about setting up really solid technique. And I didn't care. I didn't want to try to rush to beat a pot, to beat a timer. I didn't want to round those corners in dry fire. I wanted my dry fire reps to be as close to perfect as I could. Um, and so I had, I had really pretty much abandoned using a, a, a part timer at all in dry fire. Um, and that and that worked. I mean, that was that was fine for me. I think for the most part, um, because I was shooting so much live fire that I was spending plenty of time on on working on speed just in live fire. And but fast forward to this year and shooting way 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 less than my typical. Um, and I haven't had the range time to to work on the speed during at, at range time and stuff. And I finally came to the realization, hey, you need to bring back part-times um, into, your, into your dry fire practice. And so that's what I've done recently. Um, and the biggest thing that I, I'm not doing, like, I'm not setting a part-time to a draw. Like, I'm not setting, like, a one-second part-time. It's I'm setting up something that's got, you know, two or three positions uh, and several targets. That's I mean, I've had some dry fire stages that are... 11 second part times, which is a long time. Um, but the, I guess the, the big do's is, is yes, use part times, but be cognizant of where you're rounding corners at. Because if you're, if you are doing like the really short part times, like two second part times, you can hit those times. You like, you will force yourself to hit those times, which is good. Like you need to do that. But you need to know whether what corners you're rounding. What are you sacrificing to do that? Are you just getting faster? You're just moving the gun faster and you're still maintaining a really solid grip and, and good sight pictures? Or are you getting real sloppy with the sight picture and and just getting just hitting the part time just to hit it? Um so that's that's the thing that I've been working on. And I've I feel like that's been pretty good for me adding part times back in. Um I, another, another thing to be careful of with par times in dry fire is that for me, you get used to, okay, I'm going to, my first couple of runs, I'm just trying to figure out what a par time is. And then after that, I'm trying to figure out how can I 
take that part time lower. And so then you're getting, you will get yourself in this state where your first runs are never, you're, they're never really good because you're, you're really not trying to push on those first runs. You're just trying to set a part time and figure out what that part time is. Um, so be cognizant of that. Be careful of that is that you don't, like you're trying to make, you're trying to set your part time on the very, very first run um, and figure out what that, what that is. Um, so one thing that I've, I've started doing to help battle that, cause I don't, mine are always like, they change up. Like I'll, I'll, I don't have like set drills. Like it's, I just come up with something that's, you know, and I, that's my, and I'll figure out that part time for that. But if you can remember the last part time that you did, the last stage that you sh- shot at dry fire the day before the practice session before, and you remember what that is, then your very first run the next day, keep that same part time and see if you can match what you were doing when you were really warmed up on it, uh, to see if that's, if those skills are sticking or not. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I do recommend people using part times, but I think you need to be careful with it, uh, and, and being really cognizant of where you're, uh, where you're rounding corners to, to be able to, uh, to make whatever part-time or to shave time off of that part-time. Be careful with that. Yeah, that's a good point. I think uh, something worth noting is just how different people can be when it comes to to dry fire and shooting and learning and everything. Um, I got to thinking about it when Jared was talking about if you're a new shooter and you've you've got an extended dry fire session, then you're you're probably not gripping the hand the uh, the gun hard enough. Um, that may be true. I don't, I don't necessarily fully agree. Um, I know people out there have professions where their hands are just stupid strong, and you know dry fires may come super easy to them as far as holding the gun for that long. Um, so, and then on, on top of that too, like, you know, maybe you are gripping the, the gun super hard for a full 30 minutes, but you're taking a 30 second break between each run. Uh, so, you know, that kind of allows well, your, your grip to recover, yeah, kind of like I mean, a workout. Shut up, Jared. I'm talking. So, yeah, uh, you just got to give yourself time to recover if you're going to extend it. I know, like for me, if I'm doing a whole bunch of reloads in, in a row... Yeah, I mean, I can, I can burn my hands out in probably like a minute, uh, okay? Like gripping the gun and then grabbing a mag and then re-gripping the gun and doing that over and over. It's like a minute and I can like, I can barely even put any pressure on the gun because my, my forearms are burning so bad. Um, so, I don't know. There's just a lot of different ways um, that that can work. Um, the other thing is, well, part times, yeah. I mean, everybody everybody learns differently. Like Jeremy said, it's it's been a progression for him of using part times, going away from. Them. I've never used part times, like maybe a handful of times. And this is just me. I think I've mentioned all this before, but I'm just going to reiterate since we're talking about it. Uh, me, I've never really taken drills from a book. I've never used part times. Yeah. So everybody just learns differently. Is is kind of my my point there. Um, I've tried part times, but I just I didn't really 
I couldn't find the benefit. I'm sure there is some. I'm sure I could I could gain something from it, but um, I don't know. In my eyes, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I'm still learning. Um, so, yeah, I think that was all I wanted to say well, on those things. Jeff, I was going to point something out. When I was talking about, like, gripping, I'm using that as an example. Not that someone can't do longer, but they certainly need to be considerate of, like, what they're feeling, what their hands are doing. It's more of a, the point being made there is not like, oh, you got to stop dry firing in 15 minutes. It's more, are you still getting anything of value out of this? Like, make sure you're doing it correctly. Yeah. And and my point was, yeah. some people just have really strong hands and they can do it. Yeah, there there are some outliers out there, Jeff, the people that are, are freakishly strong. Um, but that there's not that many of those people out there for the most part. Um, so yes, there are outliers and Jeff is correct. Uh, most people also like if they have, like if they're swinging a hammer all day, they're usually not swinging a hammer with their left hand. Um, which is where the majority of your, if you're right handed, where the majority of your gripping pressure is going to come from on a gun. Uh, in, in, in those professions, you know, if they say you're a carpenter, you are swinging a hammer all day, then I think there's going to be some, you're going to have to overcome a little bit in making sure you can, you're not using your right hand to do everything as far as recoil control is concerned, uh, that you are using your left hand for that. Um, I'm sure yeah. Jeff wants to fight me now, but his internet's too slow to really actually argue. So that's fine. No, these are good points. You make good points. The one thing that I really noticed that is a limitation of dry fire that like whenever I like say, I, I don't go, I don't live fire for a week or 10 days and I would have done nothing but dry fire, is that there's really no way to simulate that second shot, uh, the second shot reco- recovery. And that's where I that's where I struggle the most in dry fire, transitioning from dry fire to live fire, is is making that that transition where you're that recoil control to that second shot, especially to like a, a difficult target. And that's to me, that's where uh, the part times become dangerous is whenever you're doing a part-time on like a wide open target and you're, I don't know how people do it. I, I set my guns up so that I actually have uh, a little bit extra over travel, not so much that it'll, that it'll double, but I have a little bit of extra over travel. And so mine, my trigger in driver actually comes up against a wall that where it's hitting the actual sear spring that the actual left, left sear spring. And I can actually, it almost simulates a, a regular trigger pull. Um, Huh. And that's just how my guns are set up, um, which is so I can I can really I, I can actually like prep a trigger and dry fire and it feels just like it feels when I'm shooting it, um, which is actually really cool. Um, but but still like so with the par times, whenever you come to a, a difficult partial target, a zebra target or something like that, uh, you kind of get used to coming to it and. May, if you're chasing a part time, you may start rushing that that second where it needs to be a, a 40, a 50 split. Like that's a realistic split for however tight that target is. And in dry fire, you get used to just banging it, you know, 20 splits because you're trying to rush and beat that part time. Um, I think that's an area where where it, I would I would try to warn people to be cognizant of that and try to be realistic on okay, you got a 15 yard zebra. Are you actually going to shoot 20 splits on that? Or is that really going to be a, a 35 to 45 split target where you're going to be a little bit more careful to make sure you get hits? 
And if that's the case, then in dry fire, give it that amount of time. Well, and, and just like in a match and practice and everything else, you can still visualize in your dry fire. So make sure you're you're completely thinking of that target as two trigger presses and not just slamming a second shot. Because what you can get away with on a five-yard open target is a lot different than what you're going to do on a 15-yard zebra. Yeah. Like what, what you're thinking and what you're doing is going to be different. I mean, yeah. You know, target's five yards away. I'm slamming that trigger as hard as I can twice and going on. But a uh, 15-yard zebra, I'm going to be thinking about two smooth trigger presses. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's important to do that in dry fire as much as you do, as much as you would in live fire. And also... And I got another thing on on the like really difficult targets in in dry fire. Um, this is kind of where you figure out like what your grip needs to be because you got these really difficult targets, and you know you're kind of doing what uh, what these guys are saying. You're giving them more respect and like trying to take a little longer on those sight pictures, while at the same time you're trying to like grip the piss out of the gun. It'll really show you the gun like shaking right um on those types of targets so you kind of learn how how your grip needs to change or like you're not really doing yourself any good right if you're gripping the gun that hard on those long shots so hard that you can't keep it still then you're really doing yourself more harm than good as far as recoil control goes um in my opinion so i don't know there's just something to learn there if if you're you're dry firing on really difficult targets and you're seeing all that shakiness, um, that shakiness is extremely exaggerated on a long distance target. Like you're you're all over the place. Um, so just something to think about. Yeah, and I don't like. I'll be honest. I don't see like I can grip the gun as hard as physically possible for me, and I don't really see that shakiness like that. Really, like it doesn't. I I don't see I'll that put- coming in too much. I'll point one thing out too. Like you aren't going to see it a lot with iron sights, but you stick a dot on the gun and you'll see the movement a lot worse. Yeah, that's that's probably very true. Um, that's probably very true. Um, yeah, you know, another thing too on on tripods. One one thing I like to think of it as too is your chance to work on stuff without the distraction of the gun going off in it. And, and I think that's a good way to think of what you're doing as well. So I got a question. Um, what types of targets do you guys dry fire with? I have basically I have everything. I have metrics, ipsics, I guess. Uh, I have hard cover. I have the like hard cover stickers on them. I have some of them partialed with no shoots. I have mini poppers and steel plates. I, I basically have all the dry fire targets you can get from the pro shops. So you're you're using the the pro shop pro the the Ben Steger pro shop has laser cut out targets that are they have, of all different sizes. They have as much as uh, I think they have a 50% size all the way down to like, uh, man, they have some that are like turtle and, targets and that I, are like two and a half inches across or something. So it's like, uh, I have, I have some of every size. So, so, okay. So there's that option. And I, Jeff, what do you use for, you probably are just using like you're cutting out little pieces of cardboard, aren't you? <laughs> I mean, that's what I did for the first couple of years. Um, but 
the last the last couple of years, I have actually bought some <laughs> dry fire targets, and I do use the ones from the from the pro shop. Wow. <laughs> and I'll also point out in in my dry fire room, I also have a barricade that I made with a target stand and a couple of normal targets. I have fault lines. I have a shooting box. I have a chair and I have a card table. So Jared's got it all. He has zero excuses. All very cool. All very cool. Yes. I'm like poverty dry fire, man. Um, I have like almost nothing in my dry fire room. Uh, there's, I literally dry fire on like four or five targets. Uh, just on different walls with, with different hardcover on them. And then I have a wall that's like a three by three foot by three foot area that's just like random pasters. There's probably 20 pasters in there. And that's kind of my like, like, I don't know, I call it my transition matrix. Um, but yeah, that's like, that's everything. It's like four or five targets and a transition matrix. Okay, so that, that brings up, I've got, I want to circle back to a different question I had. Well, another question I had, but so how often do you guys change up your dry firewall? I don't change stuff too frequently because I have so many targets up all the time. I won't shoot them in the same order all the time, but I'll generally leave the same targets up for quite a while. This uh, this was actually one of the things that I wrote down as well, is to move your targets around. Though I haven't been very good at it, but I realized it. It took me forever, obviously, like five years to realize this. But uh, I realized it like last week. I was dry firing and I was like, I'm transitioning to this spot before I even see the target. Um, so I moved everything. Uh, so yeah, I'll be practicing moving everything. Well, and I think off the top of my head, I have something like 20 plus targets up on the wall right now. Like, like I use my entire finished basement for a dry fire room and two of the walls have a ledge. It's about three foot tall or so on it from the way the house is built. So I have targets just like setting along that ledge. And so there's, there's enough targets there that I can shoot a lot of different orders without ever moving stuff around. And I mean, I still do once in a while, just not every day. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. Like, I, I agree that I, I think you should fairly often go and move your your dry fire targets around. Mine have been on the walls in pretty much the same spots. I've added some here recently, but, like, the other ones that have just been there, like, they've been there for probably, like, two years. And every once in a while, I'll add something new, but I, I haven't uh, moved it around, and I, I think that's probably to my detriment. Because Jeff is right. Like, you do... Like you do get to where you just you draw an index and transition an index to the same target over and over and, and you just get used to it and it's and that's not what our sport is. Like we're not this isn't steel we're not we're not speaking to steel challenge here. Uh, we're speaking to USBSA and it's that's not what our sport is. Transitions are always different. Um, so yeah, I would I would I would recommend moving those targets around and changing them up. Um, I got another comment on targets. Um, so one thing that I saw somebody on the internet 
they they posted a picture of their dry fire room and it, somebody had a very nice house, very big dry fire room. And all the targets were about four foot off the ground, literally in a perfect line, okay, all the way around the room. Um, I mean, I don't really have any evidence to back this up, but I think that's a really terrible idea. Um, we we do so much of like transitioning up to steel, down, squatting, you know, transitioning from a squatted position up to a higher target. Um, in my opinion, like your 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 targets for dry fire should be all over the place, from two foot off the ground to six foot off the ground. And you bring up a good point there. One of the things I'll do to help simulate moving the targets around is I'll use like both half, third, and uh, the sixth size targets so that the A zone is basically at different levels. And then I'll also I'll tape targets down lower on the wall or set like half size targets on the floor so that you're doing a, a transition down and back up. And then on my barricade, I have ports cut in it that I'll shoot through as well to change the level and how you're seeing stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that that's kind of my point is like, I don't know. Shooting everything on the same same level seems like a no-brainer to me. Like, you shouldn't be doing that. But people are doing it. So don't do it. It's dumb. Yeah. So um, what size targets do you guys dry fire to? The third size are the ones I use the most. But like I said, I do use the, the halves and the uh, sixth size ones as well. I think mine are third. Yeah, I, I use pasters. I use third size targets, and I actually use some full size targets just to like simulate those real close stuff. Yeah, like put it just lean it up against the wall real close to me or something. Yeah, no, I was I, I kind of that's that's another thing that I've I kind of come to the conclusion to a little bit my dry fire. I think I've I've hampered my speed a little bit because I was dry firing too much difficulty. I was using like little little tiny simulated steel. Yeah. And I think it actually it hurt me whenever I went to shoot cuz I got used to trying to go fast on a little piece of steel. I got used to the front sight being kind of all over it and accepting that as good cuz that was like with any it was so small and so precise that I couldn't really refine it a whole lot past that without taking for forever. Um and I actually kind of stepped some stuff off and like in my actual space and then did like the like the half and third and sixth conversion i think i was using a lot of like one sixth type sizes uh and it's like man i'm simulating like 35 and 40 yard shots and i'm still trying to do like you know like 1.1 draws to that or something like like just like i'm trying to do like super fast reels super fast draws and transitions to it it's like bro like this that's and so i think it i think it what it actually rather than forcing me to be more accurate i actually think it it went the other way. It forced me to accept worse sight pictures, sight pictures that were more unacceptable because I was trying to get the par times on targets that were too difficult. Um, and so I do encourage people like when you set up your dry fire area is actually do like if you're using the pro shops targets and there's other like there's banners and stuff like that that you can get. I think the pro shops are the, I think the pro shop targets the best option because it's so interchangeable and movable. Um, but like actually like step stuff off because Jeff's right. Like, uh, like you do see targets within 
five yard, like less than five yards, full size targets for for paper and stuff like that. And I never dry fire a full size paper at five yards, which I can simulate that in my I, I dry fire in my shop. Um, I could easily simulate fifteen feet, you know, in my shop, but I never dry fire anything le- like bigger. In the past, I'd almost never dry fire anything bigger than like a third size target to that. Which at that point, then you you know you're simulating. I guess that's 15 yard target is what you'd be simulating there. But like I, I think there's there's a lot of value in actually stepping stuff off and seeing what are you actually simulating. Are you simulating real? Every is everything really big and really close, and so it's really easy, or is everything way too small and way too difficult? Um, try to be re- somewhat realistic. Well, another thing you bring up there too is by using a a full size paper target. It- 15 or uh, 15 feet if you put a third size next to it then you can also simulate a transition going from a five yard to a 15 yard target which is something that we will often see in our sport absolutely you know don't be afraid to mix and match yeah yeah definitely don't just use one size of any one target uh, the only other thing I say, like, so Jared has, uh, Jared has said, like, he's got a barricade. Um, I've got one as well that is all it is is I made, I took one by fours and made a target stand out of that one by twos sticks would go in. And then you can hang a, use binder clips and you can hang a target on it. You can create low ports, you can create barricades left and right. Um, uh, man, that's a really easy thing to make. You don't have to make the, the base can be really, it doesn't have to be very long because you're not dealing with assuming you're inside. You're not dealing with wind, so you're not worried about it tipping over from that. So that's a really cheap, you know, one one by four or even a one two by four. You can make a, a base uh, that's that you can use a lot in dry fire as far as creating barricade, creating a port, creating low ports. Um, I just use the one by four because it's way lighter. That's uh, yeah, way easier just- to move around. I just use an extra target stand. I just bought an extra target stand when I bought, actually I bought two extra ones to set up in there. And then I just put two targets on it and cut out the A zones on it. So I have a higher and a lower port. And then I'll, I'll, and then speaking of it, I'll also use it as like, I'll basically treat it like the edge of a wall. So say I'm shooting a target over here, like I'll be using it like this is the end of the wall. So I'll be coming around the side of it and yeah. not, not just a barricade. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that's that's a very valuable that can be a very valuable and very versatile tool in dry fire that's if you're rich like Je- like Jared you can buy one if you're poor like Jeff and I uh you know you got kids and you're on a budget then you can a two by four a two by four costs more now than it used to but still you can get a two by four or one by four lumber prices are coming down so you can get those for fairly cheap and you can if you have any sort of woodworking skills, you can throw one together really easily. I'm pretty sure when I bought my target stands, it was like if you buy four of them, they're like 25 bucks a piece. So yeah, I did I did spend $25 for each target stand for my dry fire room. So they're very expensive. Again, if you're rich like Sasquatch, you can buy them. Uh, if not, if you're like Jeff and I. And that, I mean, that's like he just he just mentioned 100 bucks. It's like, dude, I could eat for like two weeks on that. Or I could you starve. Tar- you have to have target stands for outside. The- I got lots of those. That's not a problem. <laughs> All right. What else on dry fire? I'll I'll give you some some poor man or poor man or 
poor man or multi-use uh, alternatives to to building a a port window or wall because I have yet to do that. <laughs> um, so in my old house, I had a weight bench in my dry fire room. So I would just put a bar on the the weight bench like I was going to bench press, and then I would just like duck down and shoot underneath the, the bench press bar. Um, another alternative is I have a set of dip bars, so like you do dips on them, and so I'll just like set that on the ground, and I'll have to squat down and shoot underneath it. So I think the listeners are going to hear what Jeff just said because it's going to be in his own his individual audio file. Oh, I guess I cut out. Um, please send uh, please send money to Jeff uh, to help upgrade his internet. Actually, you could probably just send it to the state of Oklahoma because it sounds seems like the whole state just needs better internet. Um, so that would be just send start sending Oklahoma money. They need it. Um, and uh, Sasquatch, you got any other tips, do's and don'ts in dry fire? I think I think we covered it pretty well. Yeah, do do it. Uh, the one thing I will say, if you are a dry fire freak and you're doing it like every single day, um, I would recommend have an off day. Like, there, I think there is benefit in if you're if you're I'm going to dry fire every single day. There's benefit in having a day off where you don't touch the gun at all. Um, you know, dry like take Sundays off or, or Mondays off or, or something. There is benefit to that. I'll often take the day off before I shoot a match or like a local match. Like I'll often not dry fire on Friday if I'm shooting a match on Saturday. Yeah. And that's smart. That simulates what you often do. If you're traveling for a big match, you're not going to be able to shoot or really pick up a gun. You're going to be traveling the day before. Uh, And so that's a, that's a good way to kind of simulate that and that be normal for you. Um, So days off are good. If you're somebody who's really lazy, then dry fire more often, even if it's only five minutes a day. Uh, if you're a, I'm going to dry fire. If you're a person that's only dry fires twice a week, man, if you can just get even five minutes a day of focused dry fire, that can be really, really, really good. Um, so depending on your personality and who you are, I think both of those are kind of good ideas to do. That's all I got. I think this actually was a, you know, there's a bit of rambling, some rambling, but I think there were some good tips in there uh, for dry fire. If anybody else has any dry fire tips that we did not mention and you want us to mention it, please send us a message and we will uh, we will discuss it on a future podcast. If anybody has any questions, we need questions. We need topics. Um, so if you have any questions, uh, if you have hate mail for Jeff or Jared, uh, please send it to me and. I will pass that along as is fit, and we can discuss that on the future future podcast. Jeff just like butted in for like two words, and then his <laughs> internet cut out. Uh, wow, it's great. I'm like, wait, it's in here, wait to see what he's gonna say. Yeah. Uh, so, have a good week, and we will talk, see you guys next time. Oh, stop recording! Damn it. <laughs> <laughs>